the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We uh, roll into hour two of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program, shifting gears. And that's that's not a pun because we're squeezing in uh, cartoons or songs about cars and, and uh, travel and so on uh, in honor of Back to the Bricks going on in Flint uh, currently this week. Um, but we're uh, going to be talking with someone um, who has a new book in the Warren Steelgrave series. Um, the new book is called Vengeance Can Be Deadly by Gary E. Smith, who joins me by phone. Gary, good morning and uh, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um Gary, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air about how we might classify the uh, the Warren Steelgrave series, and and you said it's uh, um, well, you said it 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 has suspense to it. There's uh, usually a romance interest. Um, I, I know a lot of my romances have been uh, kind of suspenseful, um, <laughs> but. But let's. T- I want to talk first about how you got into writing because you you kind of started out with a bent toward uh, photography. Uh, yeah, photography was uh, my first love, and um, and at some point about 1996, um, the state of California asked me to participate in a, in a, in a project they had for. Um, Teenage boys. They were putting together a workbook on how to how, how make how to make decisions, and I found myself with this esteemed group of uh, college uh, professors and PhDs and stuff, uh, uh, spending three years on this project. And in the in the process of that, I was uh, the editor asked all of us to submit uh, an article and uh, or two, and I submitted three. All three were accepted and published. And at the end of that project, when they flew us all to L.A., give out our little plaques and thank us all for uh, our contribution to the project. At the end, when he got up to this, the end of uh, the gathering, he said, I want to end by reading something that one of our contributors wrote. And he stood and uh, read the article I wrote on the death of my son. And unexpected and surprised, I uh, felt very embarrassed. I've never heard any of my stuff read before. And then he said, with that, he had me stand up and thank me. He ended the program. I couldn't wait to get out of there. But on my way out, a guy 
started calling my name, he come out of the crowd and reached and shook my hand and said, uh, Gary, I want to thank you for what you wrote. I was going through the same, uh, I'm going through the same kind of situation and they gave me a new perspective on uh, on that and, and you changed my life. Thank you. And then turned and walked away. And that's when I knew I had, had a voice, something to say, and uh, wanted to be a writer. You took a little different path to becoming a writer than a lot of people do, um, sort of foregoing college and, and digging right into it. You have had started reading even as a, as a child and, and up through high school. Are, are there some writers or some works that have especially inspired you and, and uh, in, informed the development of your own voice? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. It seems like, like you said, at a very young age, uh, writing was all, I mean, reading was very difficult for me because I was dyslexic. But in the fourth and fifth grade, I, I read Cyrano de Bergerac and was intrigued with the character, especially the, the, the sword scene at, and in the theater when the guy made fun of his long nose. And so I, I was gravitated to books that had strong characters. Uh, as I got older, um, that I had that maintain that I really just those are the kind of books I enjoyed reading and could read because they held my interest when I started writing um, there was probably Raymond Chandler was probably the biggest influence on me uh, and my favorite author because of uh, the way he developed characters I mean I don't know if anybody can develop a character as strong as as he did in, in his detective novels from the 30s and 40s uh, well, yeah, they're anyway, iconic. Yeah, well, the way the way he was, he introduces a character in so few words, and you not only know what they look like, but you you know their soul, you know. And uh, and then uh, Hemingway for 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 his simplicity of a sentence and his willingness to to uh, break the rules at the time and talk about uh, the human condition as it really is and not some romance kind of way. And then James Joyce for the way he uh, he used the language and, and was rebellious in, in his use of the language. So I'd say those three had the biggest uh, influence on, on my writing, uh, especially when I started writing seven years ago, started writing novels. You talked about um, characters and being fascinated with characters. When you first started writing, which which came first for you? Um, did you come up with characters and then write stories that would happen to them, or did you have a story in mind and then cast it like a movie? Well, I, I don't put that. I've been asked that, and I've been asked if I've ever had writer's block, and I tell, and I've always answered no. And I I think it's the same answer when I sit down to start a book. Uh, it's a blank sheet of paper. I have no clue where it's going to go. I have no clue what the, what the story's going to be. And I'll start with a scene, uh, a simple scene. It can be something just comes up for me 
in a moment. Uh, an example would be, you know, it's a beautiful day. I go out, I'm going out for a run uh, through the woods. About two-thirds of a mile down the road, I see some feet sticking out of, the, out of, out of a bush. My gosh, you know, it's a dead body. And then uh, who is this person? That's like the first character. Then the police come. And uh, and those are the second and third character. And I just focus on that chapter and that theme, never knowing really where the book's going to go or what kind kind of story it's going to be. And uh, and I just focus on it scene after scene after scene uh, with all my focus on uh, on the characters in that scene, their dialogue, how they're interacting with each other. Uh, for me, that's the most important part is uh, the story secondary. It's the interaction, the human interaction between the people in the story and their reaction to events that are happening. That's always fascinated me. Yeah. From Cyrano the Bergerac to, uh, to Raymond Chandler. Those are the kinds of books I've always read. And that's pretty much the process. Well, this book, um, Vengeance Can Be Deadly, is, is book five of the Warren Steelgrave series. Um, Gary, did you know when you started the first book with Warren Steelgrave that it was going to be a series? Or, um, And this is something I ask a lot of people who write series. Did you get to the end of the first book and think, but wait, there's more? Yeah, I. Uh, it, it, it's a good question. I uh, started the first book... Uh, I was, I had found family here, and a little backstory. I had found family here in Italy, and in this small village. And so I entered into, I went back home and entered into a college class Italian. And, and and I would have to take, in order to get an A in Italian, I'd have to take an English class. So the first book, I finished in like two months because I knew once I started taking an English class, even though it was just general English. It would maybe change my voice, and I wanted to see if I could write before. I hadn't had no English since sophomore in high school. So I, I, I got through that book, and it ended up being well-received. People loved it, but they demanded to know what happened to the couple at the end, and that led into the second book. And then by then, you're developed these characters over two books that people just loved and wanted more of, so that led to the third and then the fourth, and then this book, the fifth. When, um, are the, the Steel Grave books the only ones you've written? Uh, after this book, after book five, uh, I uh, decided to take a break from the Warren Steelgrave series, and I wrote an award-winning book, which was a, a collection of short stories and poems. And uh, it it uh, it surprised me how many people I've heard from that touched upon that that book touched upon. I I wanted to see and challenge myself to do. T- 24 short stories in a row of different lengths, some of them 10,000 words, some 20,000 words, some 3,000 words. And where every week or every couple days you're coming up with whole new characters, all different plot lines, 
just uh, the discipline to put a whole story in, say, 3,000 words uh, was a really challenge and challenged me. And to my surprise, it won the Independent Book Award in the fall from New York. And uh, and people have called and said that many of the stories in there they identified with and touched them deeply and has given them uh, pause to sit back with an extra glass of wine and think about their own life and where they perceive some of their attitudes and towards people. So that, that was a real challenge. And then uh, I've just finished uh, another Warren Spielberg book that should come out maybe next month. It's in the process of being uh, the galleries being gone through, and I've I've started another one that I'm about ten thousand words into. So yeah, it's a lot of writing, and I've been writing for a few online magazines of late. So you really don't have a problem with writer's block? Never have. <laughs> And I think, oh. and I think, and I think the re, and I've and I've and I've said this to other would-be writers or writers is that sometimes they they're overthinking it. They're they're overthinking down the story too far. Um, I find, like I said, you know, I start to develop by the third chapter. I've got a character to uh, that I've focused on and given personalities, and they take over. I don't know where, I don't know where the book's going. I often think, well, maybe we'll, it'll travel to Paris, and, and characters will say, no, we're going to London. <laughs> and, and and it's uh, more a process of uh, recording what they're doing in their life along this journey to solve whatever problem or whatever hurdles they, they're, they're encountering. So, so I think uh, if you think too far ahead, uh, you can get writer's book. You don't, you don't know where you're going to go next. Well... If you never know where it's going next, then I guess you don't have that problem. <laughs> just keep writing till you get there, right? Yeah, they just keep directing the story. And, uh, I think Raymond Chandler said it best. He said that uh, whenever you're in your head, you're not creating. And uh, and whenever the story's just flowing, you're, you're, you're creating, you know. And so it's to be able to stay in that other part of it, which... It's getting harder and harder because uh, the first three chapters, I'm always kind of in my head. Uh, each of these books are a standalone book. They can be read as a standalone book. And yet for my reading fans, they, they, will, ex they will expect some continuity, and you can't put too much of that in there. Uh, you lose them if you try to catch a new reader all the way up the up, up the but you've got to put enough in so that the new reader understands these characters and kind of what's happened in the past. So the first three chapters are, are kind of thought out. Hey, Gary, I, I hate to interrupt, but I have to take yeah. a short break here. I'd like to talk okay. with you some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes? Absolutely. All right. My guest is Gary Smith, author of Vengeance Can Be Deadly, the fifth of the uh, Warren Steelgrave series and we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us at tomsumnerprogram.com 
we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Attorney General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? 
Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of Vengeance Can Be Deadly, the fifth in the Warren Steel Grave series. His name is Gary Smith. He joins me by phone. Gary, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, not a problem. Um, Gary, we were talking about... Uh, uh, writing and, and different ways of doing it. I'm always uh, fascinated by the creative process, and you were talking about sometimes the the characters will lead you to the next plot development. Um, what is the writing process like for you? Do you uh, follow a, an outline? It, do, it doesn't sound like you do. Um, or or do, you, do you binge write? Do you have a particular schedule that you write to? the other night and with three other authors and I was amazed at their process. One lady uh, starts with the ending of the book and then the beginning of the book and then fills it in between and, and it just boggles my mind. I, <laughs> I, I could not do that or the other one who outlines the whole story and was talking about the difficulty of a novel compared to a short story because it's so much bigger to outline that whole story. And I, yeah, I couldn't do that either. I do think it's important to have a discipline that you, I try to write something every day. It doesn't have to be good. It, it can be gobbledygook. Uh, you can always throw it away. But uh, to sit down and to write almost every single day. Um, being dyslexic, sometimes I'll write in the morning and in the evening. But it's always in the same place, the same chair, uh, some jazz playing in the background row. And it's like once that happens and you get partway through uh, Miles Davis' Kind of Blue, it's like my focus is on uh, the keyboard and uh, the first sentence. And uh, that, like meditation, you know, when you do the same thing all the time, it's funny how the at least for me, how the brain works, and this puts you in that space uh, where you can focus and kind of focus everything else out that is right. So that's my process, and uh, I'm sure it's as foreign to was as foreign to those other writers as they listened to me explain that as, as theirs was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably thought this guy's crazy, you know. Somebody and, asked uh, Stephen King once it, if. Um, if he wrote to the muse or to a schedule, and uh, it wasn't my question, I wish it had been, um, but he said, uh, "Oh, always to the muse." But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of whatever works for you. Like I say, being dyslexic, sometimes I can sit down and write a thousand words. Sometimes I can't get much through. Uh, 350, 400 words, and uh, uh, I don't have a page goal, don't have a word goal. Uh, I tend to want, if I'm, like this book I'm working on, I, 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 
I want an I want to average at least uh, two thousand words a week, and uh, to keep the, the move keep it moving along. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it take I I believe in discipline that it takes a discipline, uh, and uh, but being dyslexic. <laughs> Sometimes that has control. The words start moving around on the page. It's time to stop for a while. You know, it can be frustrating. But uh, does autocorrect help with that, or does it make it worse? Well, there's some grammacy and and uh, and uh, and uh, a grammar program that comes with Windows. That's as part of Windows 11 um, is. Uh, are really very pretty good. I, I have to admit, they've they've helped a lot these last couple of years. But even still, for me, uh, I I laugh at uh, the proofreading process. I've never needed an editor, per se, but uh, the proofreading goes on and on and on and on. And and I'm, uh, I'm always amazed. I've got uh, I use one professional proofreader. I have three friends that proofread and, and do what I call what's called a, a bot reading. Um, they're important to me because they are real readers. They read lots of books, lots of other genres of books. And uh, so if it's if they don't feel something's flowing well, if they're confused about a certain thing, they'll send me a note. But uh, that's always been a problem, being, being dyslexic, uh, you know, I... For the longest time, you know, all the bees are bees, you know, and, and job is always job, you know. I, I thought once I went to a keyboard that that wouldn't happen no more, but it's funny how that finger will find the, uh, the B instead of the P, and, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, and <laughs> it's, it's part of the, it's just part of the process. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you, you take what God gives you for... Uh, I would think I would think that somebody that was challenged a little bit visually like that, um, I, I I would think that that would scare you off from writing. What 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 was it about writing that made you say, uh, "I'll screw dyslexia. I'm going to do this anyway." Well, you know, I was kind of forced into doing that first article back in '96 for gotcha. that for, for that book and. Uh, uh, realized that I could work through that. I mean, that was one of the reasons I did not go on to college. And I, I dropped all my college prep classes, and, and I was supposed to have been the first in my in my family to go to college. And I come home after working in construction one summer and said, "No, I'm dropping all those. I'm not going to go to college." And part of the reason was uh, was. Uh, the issues in English. So it, it was kind of weird that I would find that itch that I have to scratch everything. And uh, and uh, that's pretty much it. And uh, I think Hemingway is quoted as saying, you know, someone said, how do you write? He says, you just lean over the typewriter and bleed. And I've heard that more and more from, from famous writers in their quotes that uh, writers uh, really do not like to write. Uh, it's not a pass. It's, you know, that's why To Kill a Mockingbird, there was only one book in her interview. Uh, uh, she said, no, she could you know, she, she, she hated to write. And, and uh, many, many famous authors have said the same thing. Dashiell Hammett and then they 
say it's very painful to write uh, books every day. They just hate it, but they do it. You know, it's an itch you've got to scratch somehow. Why that is, I wish somebody would explain it to me. I don't know. I've talked to um, more writers that that really enjoy the process, enjoy the writing, um, than than what you just described. Well, yeah, you know, you, you know you've got that scratch in the middle of the back you can't get to, then you get to it, how good it feels. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably one of the best descriptions I've ever heard, Gary. Yeah, so so it can be it can be both, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying that it's that there's no joy in me sitting down and writing. I get away from it for a few days and and I have to get I have to get back to it, and so yeah, there is joy in writing, but it's it's not like it's not the romance a lot of non-writers think it is. Where you know, I, you it's you know, it's not all roses. It's it can be difficult. Has the pandemic had uh, any influence over your your writing and your productivity? Not really, actually. Uh, I lived six months a year in Italy, and and not being able to get to Italy caused some problems. But uh, but I, uh, you know, as a writer, and you're locked in your office writing. I mean, a finished vengeance can be deadly, and send it off to the publisher. And uh, uh, it's kind of funny, kind of a backstory. There's a there's a scene. I mean, the, the Warren Stillgrave is an older kind of a hero, and there's in there where he's starting to realize there's because of the pandemic he had some, maybe something wrong with his heart and uh, well during the pandemic uh, that kind of happened to me and I ended up in the hospital for like three days nothing they could do with just inflammation of the heart but it was funny my son wrote me in, when I was in the hospital I said gee you're going to have to put that in the book and I said well I must be clairvoyant because that was four chapters ago. So, uh, uh, yeah, give you stuff to write about, uh, you know, and, uh, what people were going through. So in that sense, uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, helped with the writing of this, uh, of this book. Well, I've talked to a few writers who um, were actually uh, kind of... Um, well, I, I've had a couple who've said, you know, I, I should have been more productive. I should have gotten a lot done, but I was kind of like a deer in the headlights. And, I, you know, I just didn't produce yeah, I anything. Think, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can relate to that. Whenever you're, 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 you're normal, uh, biorhythms are jacked around like that. Uh, it's going to affect you in, in, in a lot of ways we don't really understand yet. Uh, and so uh, I was one of those people that went out and said, screw them, went out and wasn't worried about it, even at my age, and went out and tried to run every day and get out. I mean, most of my character development is observing people and their interactions with each other. So, uh, but I can understand where, yeah, that had a, that had a lot of effect on everybody, you know. Yeah, I've talked to I've talked to people, and it's kind of all over the map, but but it tends to lean toward extremes. Either people were extremely productive, or 
not productive at all. Yeah. Well, it could lead to a depression and a, a slight depression. You don't recognize it as depression. You just don't want to get out of the chair watching TV. I mean, yeah, I could, you know, a lot of things can uh, can affect that way. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, it was, it was something. Yeah, I I have to admit to to having uh, discovered the wild world of streaming. <laughs> My myself <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have to say uh, also myself. <laughs> the um. Now with uh, vengeance can be deadly is the fifth book in the Warren Steel Grave series. Um. Do you expect to continue with more uh, Warren Steel Grave stories? Well, yeah, I have one coming out and one more I'm doing, and then I haven't thought beyond that. I, uh, I heard from people when I took a break for a year and wrote uh, those uh, the book of short stories, how upset they were that uh, I wasn't writing another Steel Grave story. But uh, he's an aging character, and, uh, <laughs> and at some point, uh, I think it has to end. I, I think the book I'm writing right now may be uh, his last adventure. You know, so I've got one coming out uh, this year, and, and probably another one coming out next year. And I think that'll be pretty much uh, my focus seems to change is changing more towards short stories and. Uh, I found myself writing with a byline on some of these uh, magazines that uh, I, I never really thought of myself as being able to do that kind of writing, but they seem to like it. And uh, uh, and because I've had an eclectic kind of life, I can, I can write a, uh, a different perspective on uh, what it's like to, to vacation in Florence, Italy, or... Or, or to find a family in a small village, that kind of thing. That a lot of these uh, travel magazines and different things are kind of asking me to write for. Um, Gary, writing can be kind of a solitary thing, um, and you mentioned a couple of minutes ago about some of your readers, some of the followers of the the Warren Steele case. Uh, or Steel Grave stories um, were upset with you when you took a little break from it. Um, do you enjoy the interaction with readers? Do you like going out and doing readings and signings and interacting with people in that way? Or are you one of the people that uh, tends to be a little bit more reclusive? I tend to be a little bit more reclusive and... Uh um, I, I have enjoyed interaction with other writers, like uh, the group the other night. Um, they, they hear their perspective and what they do and what they're writing about, and, and that back and forth uh, I find enjoyable. Um, it's uh, I like it when, and I, I don't get too often somebody who says, you know, 
I, I like the story, but the characters were this, or I like the characters, but uh, the story seemed unreal. I mean, I, 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 I look for uh, that commentary more than the praise. You know, I, people look, say they like the book, they love the story, they love the characters. Okay, enough of that. I, I, I would love to sit down with a glass of wine with somebody who didn't care for the book and uh, and thus discuss it, you know. Uh, so I just, you know, I am solitary. Now. I'm here in Italy and the family's in America right now. I've been here four months. <laughs> and uh, uh, finishing the last book and starting a new one. And so, yeah, I spend a lot of time alone. Is, um, does the fact that you spend part of the year living in Italy, is that connected to your writing or um, is that something you would be doing anyway and some of your writing reflects that you live in two different places? I, I don't think uh, it reflects, living in Italy doesn't reflect on my writing at all other than it uh, gives some place uh, within the within the stories that my readers like reading about Italy, they like they like the detail of him hiding out with people in Florence and some of the restaurants and, and some of that stuff. But half the books in America too, and and, and that doesn't seem to make much of a difference uh, in the short the book of short stories. Uh, all the stories uh, are happened in America. No, I guess maybe two don't. The smaller one, but uh, no, I think uh, the writing just came. It probably came mostly out of the photography, and uh, well, for some writers, you know, the the location of a story um, is is almost a character in and of itself. Well, that's true of these books. My daughter comes last summer. Her and my grandchildren do to spend uh, the summer here in Italy. And when she walked in the house, the first thing she said, oh my God, I, said, I know this house, I know where everything's at in this house, I feel like I've walked into your book. And <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> and uh, all my books uh, have photographs uh, in them. And one of the advantages I have as a photographer is uh, I can enhance the story, I think, at least I've been told that works that way for people by having a photograph. Uh, when he when he's talking about in book two and he takes her to the Galleria for the first time in Milan and they walk in and he and the and the scene he's describing the floor and the, and the ceiling and when it was built and everything. I have a photograph of uh, of the inside of the Galleria and uh, it was. Uh, the proofreader wrote back to me and said, what a fantastic photograph. I was trying to picture it in my mind, and I turned the page, and, and within the text was that photograph, and it just brought the whole scene to life. So I'm fortunate that way. I don't have to pay royalties or pull somebody, pull photographs down off of, off of the Internet. All the photographs for the book covers are mine. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I think it adds to the story, and it's just one of the things I like to do. But I think the writing and the photography are pretty much both the same. Uh, they come out of emotional feelings 
is, is what it starts, and then and then the story builds or the photograph builds, depending on which around around that. Do you um, do you write uh, very visually? Do you picture the things that you're writing when you're developing scenes and action? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely do. I've never been asked that question. Never thought about it. But, but you're asking it, and I was just talking about the photographs I put in there. I know absolutely. Uh, and, and the reason okay. that I ask that is is a lot of writers aspire to have their stories uh, turned into film or television. Do you have that same aspiration? Oh yeah, I would love that. Uh, I think uh, every writer would would love to see that. Have that kind of like pinnacle of the mountain of your fifteen minutes of fame. Wouldn't it be? You know. <laughs> and, and so, so, so yeah. It's, uh, you know, you're. Yeah, I would. I would love to see that happen. You know, but the odds of that, you know, that's a whole different marketplace. And uh, with 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 uh, who I call the money changers, you know what I mean? It's like that's <laughs> a whole different uh, place to be. But yeah, I would love to see it. Yeah, I remember um, being just just kind of fascinated by the fact that uh, David Baldacci, um, his his first best-selling novel um, got made into a movie with Clint Eastwood and E.G. Marshall and Gene Hackman and and I, I, I asked him two questions that that I thought were kind of relevant one was uh, he had started out being a lawyer and I said do you like writing more than lawyering and he said oh by far and, and the other was uh, you know having you know your your first novel turned into a blockbuster movie it's it's the movie absolute power he, uh, you know i i said yeah. uh, people return your calls don't they <laughs> and he laughed a little bit and you know tried to be humble but but yeah he, yeah, that's, he one my, that's one of my favorite movies mine too and yeah. and i told him that and um you know, but it was just, it was just weird because, you know, now he's got 35, you know, New York Times best-selling novels. I mean, but that, that first one took right off in a really big way. And I just, go ahead. You no, know, it's just kind of like buying a lot of ticket for, for most writers, you know, just, uh, uh, Faulkner, you know, he started writing in the 20s and, None of his books were ever read until uh, uh, in the 50s. Uh, a uh, a um, uh, critic happened to discover Faulkner, and then from 50, 1950s till he died, I think, in 62, 59, 62, in that wow. area sometime. Hey. Two Pulitzer Prize winning, two, two Pulitzer Prizes, and I don't know how many that he's considered one of America's greatest writers. Gary, we've got to we've got to end it there, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Do you have a website you can share? We got about 30 seconds. Yes, the website is www.garysmithauthor.com. And well, there's short stories there they can download and a lot of stuff besides purchasing the books and links to Amazon and all of that. 
Well, Gary, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you. It was a great interview, uh, great questions, and uh, I've done quite a few of these, and this has been by far the best. Oh, thank you so much. Hello there, you citizen. Start with well duck here, and every time I'm in Clint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. Like most married women, Blanche Bickerson is a romanticist. Having talked poor husband John into taking her on a second honeymoon, three o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson in the lobby of a small hotel at Niagara Falls. Exhausted and bleary-eyed from the long drive, John Bickerson unloads the luggage outside as his wide-awake wife talks to the night clerk. Let's listen. It doesn't really matter about the room as long as we have a nice view of the falls. Yes, ma'am. I'll bet you don't remember me. No, ma'am. Well, I wouldn't expect you to with all the honeymoon couples you meet. I was here seven years ago. Is that so? Yes. Well, better luck this time. Oh, we're still married to each other. We're just having a second honeymoon. Do many people do that? No, ma'am. I wonder why. I wouldn't know, ma'am. Are you married? No, ma'am. Arthritis makes me walk this way. Will you please sign the register? Oh, I'm sorry. Last time we were here, we had to wait two days for a room. We stayed in a motel in Buffalo. Oh, here you are. Thank you. Is that Bickerson? Yes. Didn't I sign it right? Yes, ma'am. Mrs. John Bickerson and husband. Here's the key. Room 318. There's the automatic elevator over there. We don't have any bellboys at night. Oh, that's all right. I'll go out to the car and get my husband. John, where is he? He's not in the car. I wonder if he took the luggage out of the trunk. Good heavens! John, get out of that trunk, you darned fool! John, John, John! Blanche, 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 shut the door. There's a draft. Out of that thing. All right, all right, all right. Don't pull. Ow, my hand. Oh, serves you right. Pick up that luggage and straighten yourself up. Ow. I don't want you to go in that nice hotel looking like a ragamuffin. It's a nice muffin. Um, Grab a couple of these bags, will you, Blanche? No. It wouldn't look right on our honeymoon. Come on. Oh, my back. Where's the bellboy? We don't have any at night. Are you the clerk? Yes, sir. Where's the register? I I want a room with a bed. I've already signed it. You've got a room. Good. Where are you going to sleep? Come on, John. Stop dragging your feet. I just drove 2,000 miles for a second honeymoon. Lead me to my room. You had to talk like that in front of the clerk. Oh, let me sleep, will you, Blanche? I'd just like to go one place with you that you didn't embarrass and humiliate me. You've been unbearable since we left home. Keep going. In here? Yes. Pull the bags in so I can shut the door. No windows? No nothing? How much do they get for this broken-down room? This is the elevator. (laughs) 
Oh, well, push the button or something and get it started. I can't keep my eyes open another minute. I was afraid this would happen. I'd hoped that going on a second honeymoon would bring us closer together. Can't get much closer than this, unless you throw the luggage out. Every time I want you to be romantic, you're so distant, John. What is keeping us apart? The brown suitcase. What floor are we on? I'm sleepy. You're always sleepy. When you're not sleepy, you're humiliating me. I'll never be able to face that night clerk in the morning. You won't have to. Why not? There'll be a day clerk. Which way is the room? I don't know, and I don't care. I'm going to stay in the elevator. Oh, come on, will you, Blanche? Well, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now, where's the room? Right in front of you, 318. Well, open the door before I collapse. Thank heaven. I gotta get some sleep. Well, put the lights on. Don't stumble around in the dark. Don't want to open my eyes. Just aim me at the bed and give me a shove. I'm not gonna let you sleep until you undress properly and unpack the luggage. Oh, Blanche, why'd you have to bring so much stuff? You've got as much stuff as I have. I have not. All I brought was my toothbrush and my overnight bottle. You and that bourbon. You wouldn't take five steps away from home without it. Well, I can still remember what happened when we got snowbound in that cabin. That wasn't so terrible. Oh, not much. I had to live for two weeks on nothing but food and water. Don't throw my things around like that. There's no closet. Where shall I put these dresses? In the drawer. Where do you want these drawers? In the dresser. Fold up your pants neatly and put them under the mattress. Okay. Well, take them off first. John, what a fool I was to think you'd change. The second honeymoon was just as big a mistake as our first one. Oh, no, it wasn't. I'm so sorry you made me go on this trip that I could just die. I didn't make you go. You shanghaied me. You even tried to get me to marry you again. Was that such an unreasonable request? Yes, it isn't legal. Why not? A man can't be punished twice for the same crime. Oh, that's too bad about you. How you shame me in front of all my friends. And after I sent the invitations out, too. Well, I wasn't going to have any formal wedding and put out a lot of dough to feed your hungry friends and their squalling brats. There wouldn't have been any brats there at all. How do you know? Because I said plainly on the invitation, Mr. and Mrs. John Bickerson will be married March 9th. No children expected. Put out the lights. I'm never going back to that horrible apartment we live in. I'm going to sit here and stare at the falls forever. Wouldn't hurt you to look at them either, John. I see them every day on the shredded wheat box. How can you be so cynical? I'm glad I have a little romance in my soul. Just the sight of those falls brings back memories. Mm, yeah. Sit up, John. Look at that cascade. Doesn't it remind you of something? Yeah. What, John? I think I left the water running in the bathtub. John, you didn't. Okay, I didn't. Good night, Blanche. I never should have trusted you to lock up. Now I'm really worried. Did you close all of the windows? Close the windows. You didn't leave any lights burning, did you? Uh, no. Did you leave food for the cat? Left enough for a week. What did you leave him? A six-pound tin of corned beef. Did you empty it into a plate? No. Well, how do you expect the cat to eat? I left the can opener on top. Stop worrying about the cat. We should have taken all the animals with us. Poor little canary locked in the cage. Cat can't get out of the house. And who is going to feed the goldfish? Oh, I'll bet they're terribly unhappy. Oh, they're not unhappy. They're having a fine vacation. They are not. They are, too. When I left, the cat was fishing. Fishing? Where? In the goldfish bowl. He was using the canary for bait. John, 
Dickerson. Oh, go to sleep. The canary and the goldfish are fine, and I wish the cat would drop dead. Don't talk like that. I love that cat. When I get home, I'm going to enter him in a cat show. What for? He couldn't win anything. Maybe not, but he'd meet a lot of nice cats. Go to sleep, will you, Blanche? I'm not sleepy. Why don't you sit up and talk to me? Blanche, people don't talk at four in the morning. You talked until five o'clock on our first honeymoon. You kept reciting poetry and telling me how beautiful I was. Do you remember what you said, John? No. You told me your love for me was like a raging inferno. You said you had a fierce fire blazing in your breast like a live coal. What happened to it, John? It's only a clinker now. <laughs> How can you say such terrible things to me? Blanche, I'm so sleepy, I don't know what I'm saying. I'd like to hear you say things like that to Gloria Gooseby. Can't I even go to Niagara Falls without Gloria Gooseby? The only reason you didn't was because she wouldn't have you. What? You proposed to her 15 times before you proposed to me. You big second fiddle, you. I never proposed to Gloria Gooseby, and you know it. And the next time I see her, I'm going to punch her husband, Leo, right in the nose. What have you got against Leo? He's a better husband than you are. I'm sick of hearing that, too. Leo Gooseby is a cheap, chiseling bum. He is not. He's more generous than you. Would Leo Gooseby give you a new dress? No. Would he give you a new hat? No. Would he give you a mink coat? No. Would you give me a mink coat? No. Why should I give you anything? Leo wouldn't. Stop screaming. You'll wake up the whole hotel. Well, stop goading me. You want me to do nothing but fight, fight, fight. No, I don't. All I do is ask for proof you love me, and you go into a tantrum. Blanche, what more proof do you want? I tell it to you a thousand times a day. I raise a new crop of freckles to spell out I love you. I painted it on all the Burma shave signs. Somebody's at the door, John. Honey, honey, honey. Honey! Madam, this is not a beehive. It's my bedroom. What are people wandering around in the halls this time of night? Don't be so crabby. It's probably some nice little bride who can't find her husband. Maybe he's lost. He isn't lost. He's hiding. Put out the lights, will you, Blanche? I've got a vile headache. Nobody told you to yell your brains out. Good night. If you just stand here and look at the falls for a few minutes... Your headache will go away and you'll sleep fine. Where does all that water come from? I once read it goes over at the rate of 346,000 gallons a second. John? Yeah? Are the falls higher on the American side or on the Canadian side? I don't know. I'll have to find out in the morning. What a majestic spectacle. I'm convinced there's nothing in the world like Niagara Falls. Except you, Blanche. Really, John? Why do you say that? Because you never dry up either. Good night, John. Isolated life ain't all that bad Are we 
Alexander Zajic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 